At a time when investors are confronted with market volatility and a variety of challenges fueled by the uncertainty of inflation, unsettled geopolitical tensions, and economic pressures, Justin Klein and Steve Peasley stand ready to take your finance and investment questions and share their unbiased answers. This is Invest Talk, independent thinking, shared success. Invest Talk is made possible by KPP Financial, a registered investment advisor firm serving clients throughout the United States. The clarity for your path forward starts now. Here is KPP Chief Executive Officer, Financial Advisor, Justin Klein. Good afternoon, fellow investors, and welcome back to Invest Talk. This is our Monday, April 17th, 2023 edition. And that means tomorrow is the tax filing deadline. It used to be April 15th. It's being pushed back this year. I know for me here in California, we were pushed, we're pushed back all the way to October. Remember with my CPA today. Um, so uh, pretty interesting time. And, you know, there is a lot, lot to discuss. You know, we are transitioning as an economy. Uh, and part of that is out of necessity due to geopolitical concerns. Uh, others is just the cycle of, of capital. You know, there was a lot of overinvestment in things like technology and underinvestment in industrials and, and, and energy. And that's manifesting today. And these are the cycles uh, that play out regularly. And if you are not attuned to those cycles, you are going to be a you're going to be subject to them you are going to be following those cycles yourselves your your financial well-being your investment well-being will ride up and down with those cycles it's going to be a volatile messy sometimes scary endeavor so our goal here is to help you not fall prey to the ills and the misallocation of capital that those cycles bring. Buying stocks at 25 times sales, for example. It's an example. That's, that's an indication of overinvestment within a particular sector. When you have companies trading at those types of multiples. And then conversely, I remember two years ago, we were picking up names for in the energy space for less than book value, less than the cash sitting on their balance sheet, just because energy was a dirty word. And this, these are cycles that play out over and over again. In the mid-2000s, it was the opposite. Right, 2006, 7, 8. Before the financial crisis or early 08, you had oil companies trading at pretty high multiples compared to their history. And technology stocks, after many years of a lot of the dot-com 1.0 stocks going bust, the sentiment in that sector was at an all-time low. And that's when opportunity was available there. So these cycles happen over and over. And our job here is to keep you attuned to those cycles. 
Make sure you're not falling into the pitfalls that these cycles bring. So I'm Justin Klein, and I'm ready to answer your finance and investment questions and give you my straight unbiased answer. So the number is ready for you. 888 chart is how you get through and ask your question on today's show, and we have a lot of material to cover. My main focus point is uh, behind this headline. AI is already impacting three big fang stocks. So we're going to look at the, the most major one that was down big today. And we're going to talk about why. Also, another one of the fang names, what I've always said is the, is the best business of them all, which is Apple. And they're getting into a new business. And you might all be interested in it because you might have cash laying around, want to earn some interest on it. We're going to talk about that. Also, how regulators are shaping the car industry, the auto industry, as EV adoption, at least by the manufacturers, uh, increases rapidly. And the housing crunch. We've seen parts of the market struggle. A lot of it is in the real estate, commercial real estate market. But there's other markets around the world that could struggle as well going forward. So we're going to look at that. Also, I have some voice bank questions to play. One is on corporate bonds and the Schwab Treasury Obligation Money Market Fund. My perspective concerns the story of the history of the U.S. dollar. Excuse me. And I'll hopefully I have time to fit that in. So we have this all planned for this episode of Invest Talk, and of course your live calls at 888-99-CHART. Now let's take a look at the market today. It was a modest down day. Oh, sorry, excuse me, down day. Modest up day. You had the broad market up about 0.45%. You, the mid caps were up three quarters of 1%. Small caps outperformed up about 1% overall. Value definitely had the best, best day uh, of, the, of the parts of the market. Mid cap value up 0.85%. Big cap growth only at 0.57. So uh, certainly the value side won out on the market today. A lot of to do with uh, Google or Alphabet um, struggling. So that's kind of where we were at for the day to start the week. We had some inflation data last week, and it's pretty clear. Inflation right now is dead. That's, that's, a, that's clear. What happens with the Fed? How do, they, how do they pivot when it comes to the economy as a whole, which is clearly continues to slow, kind of slowly sliding into that recession everyone's been talking about, but how much of that is uh, baked in? And then what will the liquidity situation look like once the debt ceiling is over? I think that's really where you're going to see the next volatility is when the debt ceiling is resolved and the, the Treasury goes out and starts issuing Bonds again, pulling dollars out of the system, that's what's going to likely bring that next bout of volatility. But that could be another month or two away. Um, in the meantime, liquidity remains pretty decent. So you can't get uh, too upset about that. All right, now we're going to a quick break. But remember, you can call anytime and leave your question on the Invest Talk Voice Bank. Or if you're listening via our live stream, you can call right now at 888 chart In today's world, a variety of factors are affecting the stock markets. Serious investors know building a secure financial future requires hard work and determination. 
That's why now, more than ever, when it comes to the planning, execution, and maintenance of your portfolio, you need InvestTalk. With total downloads surpassing 50 million, each InvestTalk podcast should be one of your key financial planning and educational tools. InvestTalk is a free download, and hosts Justin Klein and Steve Peasley stand ready to provide their unbiased guidance and professional analysis developed from real-time data research and years of investing experience. 24-7, rain or shine, during smooth sailing or on rough weather days, the InvestTalk listener line is open and waiting for your questions. You set the agenda. Don't forget to call InvestTalk, 888-99-CHART. You've got finance and investment questions, and Justin Klein and Steve Peasley are ready with their unbiased answers. Don't forget to call Invest Talk 888-99-CHART. Hey, Justin and Steve, this is James from Georgia. I was calling about Buckle, ticker symbol BKE. I've been holding this for a little bit, not too long, but it's down like 23.88%. I'm curious... Do you see this bouncing back? Is this going to be, you know, sort of uh, volatile going forward? What's your outlook? I sure appreciate what you do for us. We love the show. Thanks. All right. This is Buckle. This is a name that we've owned for some time. I believe we bought it back in the 20s. Now it's at 34 and change. It is down from its 52-week high around 50 bucks. So uh, you bought it on this pullback. And fortunately, it's gone a bit farther than where you bought it. <laughs> Excuse me. Uh, so, but we like Buckle long term. It's a very strong business, very strong company, consistent profitability, consistent cash flow, minimal debt on its balance sheet. Uh, so we really like that. In fact, net they have no long term debt on their balance sheet. Net uh, net cash on their balance sheet, which we really like. Dividend yields right around four percent and sustainable. It, earnings are coming back a little bit this year. Supposed to be down thirteen percent, but still. $4.44, you're talking about a eight, nine, uh, four looking multiple. That's uh, it's still pretty cheap. And if you look at their long-term profitability, once again, return on equity right now is at 68%, but it's, which is, which it is over earning, but it's long-term average is at about 38%. Okay. So very strong, consistent business business. And that's why we like it. Um, it is near support. Let me uh, pull up the chart here. Yeah, it is at support, which is kind of the area where it consolidated back in the fall of last year. And so this looks like a, a good a good buy point to us. Um, we think it will bounce back because it's a very solid, consistent business. Right. Now let's go, let's go to talk about the FANG stock that really has gotten hit as of late, and that is Alphabet. Shares are down 4% today, and that was on a report that Samsung is considering replacing Google with Microsoft's Bing default as their as their default search engine. Remember, all phones, Apple's has Google, uh, and they're thinking about replacing it with uh, replacing it with Bing. And a lot of this is because of ChatGPT and the AI tech that is being integrated into ChatGPT. Now, Google has a 162 billion dollar a year search engine business. And a big part of that business is coming from mobile. 
obviously iPhone, but Samsung as well, the two dominant players in the mobile smartphone space. And that's something that they actually pay a good amount for. Google pays Apple $20 billion a year. Okay, but that that contract is going to be up this year as well. So, you know, are they going to have to pay more? Uh, will Apple replace them with Bing as well? And, you know, that's something that the Wall Street is worried about. And Google is trying to bring AI features to their search. But their recent endeavors in that space have not gone as well as they'd hoped. They have a new chatbot called Bard and it's feedback. The feedback on that has not been very glowing, especially compared to chat GPT. Now Google has an 80% over 80% market share within search. So that's a big question mark is, will they be able to hold up? Will their market share endure? And so far, the, this recent news has dropped their market cap by about $50 billion. And so the worry is that Apple, or sorry, Google has become lazy and hasn't really invested in improving their search in many years. And this may be a wake-up call to them. And then will they have to spend a lot of money to improve their search as well, right? When you have a business that has such high market share and nobody's really complaining about it, nobody complained how bad Google search was for the most part, they can not spend a lot on making it good or better and reap a bunch of profits, high margins, and that may be shrinking. And this is just a good lesson to everyone out there. And and I've talked about this before is that when there is a powerful player within a space, everyone's coming at them, right? Because they see how much money is being made. And sometimes that's difficult to usurp. And other times, you know, it's, it's very possible. And with software, if you can find and develop the next best software, it's easy to usurp the next one. And you're seeing that Maybe here with Google, maybe. But there's another reason why mid and small cap companies tend to perform better over time. Not only do they have high upside, but those large caps have high downside. Just think of, think of uh, BlackBerry. BlackBerry was riding high. It was the smartphone before the iPhone came out and they crushed their business. And so will Bing or ChatGPT or some other search engine usurp Google? TBD, but uh, there's certainly a big threat right there. Now we're moving into a break and I'm ready for your questions. Invest Talk number, Best Talk's number is 888 chart. Remember, you can post your question with an iTunes review as well. Now is a good time to call Invest Talk. I had a question about the stock LRLC. What's your question? 888-99-CHART. One of the most rewarding things I do each weekday is host the Invest Talk podcast. I truly enjoy helping investors. 
And I know that every question counts and every answer I provide will be unbiased. You, the caller, get to chart the course for each Invest Talk podcast. Call with your questions anytime, day or night, 888-99-CHART. Hi, Stephen. Justin, I have a question about money market fund. Uh, looking at the Schwab Treasury Obligations Fund, the symbol is S-N-O-X-X. I think this is a mutual fund type of investment, so I was just wondering, are there short-term and long-term capital gains on this type of investment? And I was thinking if there is any advantage to holding it in a retirement type of account. Taxes are not going to be an issue when I retire since I'm going to be in a lower bracket. So I was just wondering what your thoughts are on this, if it's worth trading with this type of investment and holding it less than a year since the rate on this is about 4.5%. I'm looking to hear your answer on your show. Thank you so much. All right, looking at the Schwab Treasury Obligation Money Fund, SNOXX. And this is a money market fund, so you're not going to earn any capital gains on it, it's going to be income to you, just like it would be with a bond and holding it into an, into an IRA or a 401k, a tax deferred account. It's not a bad idea, right? You you don't have to worry about paying tax on that income. If, it's in, if it is in a taxable account, that's going to be taxed at your ordinary income tax rate. Okay. So, um, that's, that's how that works. Um, it's, it's a fine money market fund. Understand what the money market funds is, those yields that you are getting, they are not fixed. This is something everyone needs to understand. And this is kind of new. We haven't had yields on money market funds in, geez, over a decade now, it feels like. So you kind of have to relearn the rules of the road when it comes to these things. But you have to realize that th- this is investing in short-term treasuries. And right now it's getting 4.5%, right? Um, you know, at KP, we invest our, our company cash in treasuries, um, and in getting something like that. So that's this, but, but remember, this is going to float. It's going to change if rates come down overall. And this is not just the Fed funds rate. This is what rates treasuries are yielding right now, right? What they're yielding right now. Um, and that could change in a month. And that 4.5% yield could be four, could be three and a half, could be three in, in a handful of months. Understand that these are floating. It's not a CD, right? That's the positive of boning a bond or a CD is that you're locking in that particular rate for that period of time. With money market funds, there's no locking in rates. If the Fed wanted to go back to zero on interest rates you know, in, in a month, guess what would happen to the yields on these? they would go to zero or very low, shall we say, like they were before. And whereas if you're buying a CD, you're buying a bond, you're locked into that rate. Okay. So it's something everyone needs to, everyone's trying to get, get earn something on their cash. And I completely understand that, but understand as well that this is not some fixed guaranteed amount. It will float. Okay. That means it can go up as well. Thanks for the call. Now let's pivot into a new offering from Apple, and that is their own savings account. So you talked about about four and a half on that money market fund. Well, the new high yield savings account 
which is available in conjunction with the with Apple's credit card, uh, is going to give you 4.15% right now. 4.15%. Okay. Now, that is FDIC insured up to a maximum balance of $250,000. Once again, this could flow. This is going to change. All right. And they're obviously partnering with Goldman Sachs on this. And it's an effort for the iPhone, Apple to transform your iPhone into a digital wallet, keep you in their ecosystem overall. They're also launching a buy now, pay later option with certain hardware products. So that's a, another avenue they're going down to expand their service revenue. Now, you can't spend the money directly from that savings account, but you will. But if you transfer it to your checking account or an Apple Cash app, you can go and spend it. And this is higher than a lot of the other high-yield savings account products. Ally Bank, 3.7. Goldman, Goldman's own Marcus uh, is 3.9. So you're even getting better than those, which is uh, really interesting. And obviously, it's Apple leveraging their brand. And a lot of people already have an Apple card. Apple's also partnering, or is already partnered with uh, some states to offer digital driver's licenses. So this is obviously something you're getting into, trying to create all your wallet. There's, that's why there's a wallet app in your phone. And it's something they're definitely going after. And I could see them expanding this in many endeavors. And this is just another one. And their services revenue reached $78 billion in the fiscal year ending in September. That was up 14% from the previous year. So obviously, a lot of money in that wallet on your phone. And there's uh, hopefully a lot more coming uh, that way for, for you if you're saving in that. All right. On the next Invest Stock, the story behind this headline. Brace yourself for the worst quarterly earnings season in three years. Now, the good news is expected for those with portfolios aligned with the right stock sectors. Investors can expect pockets of good news among travel, industrials, and energy stocks. That story tomorrow. But for now, I'm Justin Klein. I'm ready to take your questions live at 888-99-CHART. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It is official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. At this point, I think almost everyone has heard how generative AI promises to bring us to the next industrial revolution. AI is already shaping society with an impact on daily life that echoes the transformative significance of electricity, 
or the internet. As we take steps to embrace the potential of generative AI, we need to remain vigilant with regard to its exploitability. This is where HackerOne comes in. HackerOne's AI Red Team addresses the novel challenges of AI safety and security for businesses that are launching new AI deployments. The HackerOne approach involves targeted offensive testing by harnessing the collective skills of ethical hackers who are proficient in AI and prompt hacking. In short, AI red teaming is the practice of stress testing AI models and deployments to make sure they can't be tricked into providing information beyond their intended use, and that security flaws can't be exploited to access confidential data or systems. HackerOne seamlessly integrates with your existing tools to enhance communication and collaboration across development, security, and IT teams. So, stay ahead of the game in the battle against cyber threats with HackerOne's Attack Resistance Platform. Learn more at HackerOne.com. That's H-A-C-K-E-R-O-N-E.com. HackerOne.com. Justin Klein is here and ready to take your calls live. Invest Talk, 888-99-CHART. Hi, Stephen, Justin. Appreciate all that you do. I'm a long-time listener. My question is about corporate bonds and the callable feature of these bonds. That's kind of a multi-layered question, so please bear with me. I've seen some bonds as being called as continuously callable, but they also have a next call date and a maturity date, which is like a few months after the call date. So does that mean that they can call it anytime before the call date, or does it mean that they can call it anytime between the call date and the maturity date? Secondly, what does make whole calls mean? I've seen that on some bonds, and I was wondering what does that mean? Also, you know, my question is uh, related to, you know, low minimums that bonds have, like 10 or 20 as opposed to 100, 200. Would that imply that it's not a very popular bond and therefore, you know, maybe more risky? And who is setting those minimums? Also, if I buy a bond at 85 bucks and like hold it to maturity, that is at par, which is 100 bucks. Do I collect yields that are higher than the coupon rate along the way and get my money back at $100 par? per bond, thereby winning capital gains. So thank you. The bonds that I'm looking at are Hudson Pack Properties, uh, Note Call, Make Whole, 5.95%, and EPR Properties, Note Call, Make Whole at 4.95%. Thank you. My name is Derek, and I uh, appreciate all that you do. Hope to hear the answer to this question on the call. Thanks a lot. Appreciate your patience on the long question. All right, long question, uh, kind of complex answer. Um, so the make whole calls are uh, complex provisions. They are better for investors than your standard call provisions. So that's that's good if they are do have make uh, make call uh, provisions on them. Um, basically, it's making uh, all the investors uh, whole on uh, early repayment of of the debt. Um, so yeah, you you want to have that if you can. Uh, a continuously callable bond is callable whenever, um, and it can redeem it any time prior to its maturity. So 
uh, understand that, that you could get called. That's why if you're looking at uh, bonds, what you want to look for is not yield to maturity, but yield to worst. Meaning if the worst thing happens for you as the investor based on the current price, what is your yield? So always look at yield to worst. Um, and then what was the last question? Oh, so you're, yes, if you, if you buy a bond at a discount, there are a lot of those out there right now uh, where you are buying at 80 cents in the dollar, right? Because the current the coupon rate is only 3%. And if you, they wanted to borrow today, it would be probably 6 or 7%. And so there needs to be some sort of adjustment in that price in order to get the full yield to worst to match whatever the prevailing market is for record rate is for that bond. And so, no, it, just because you bought a discount doesn't mean that coupon rate changes. It's still 3% of the par value. If that's what, you know, the coupon rate is, it doesn't change unless it's floating rate or something like that. But most corporate bonds, you're just getting a, a, a flat yield a flat or flat coupon Now you are going to over time, that bond is going to go from 80 all the way back to hundred because that's what, par is and you're going to get paid back that par but that's part of your return is that capital gains from 80 to 100 and so that's what a lot of people don't get is they say it's a yield to maturity yield to worst and they say i'm going to get seven percent and they think that's what they're getting they're going to get seven percent in their pocket every single year Uh uh-uh not true there's two parts of the return it is the coupon rate that was decided when the bond was issued. Once again, if it's not floating rate, if it's a fixed rate bond, and, and like I said, most of them are. And then there's the price appreciation or potential depreciation. That can happen as well, right? If it's trading at a premium to par, and then over time, it slowly loses a little bit of value, but you're getting a nice juicy yield. That can happen as well. So you have to understand both sides of the return profile of any bond that you're looking at. Hopefully I answer your question. Now, my perspective today concerns the history of the U.S. dollar. And last week, I looked at, uh, I looked into this, into the current thesis, followed by some people, that there's an end to the dollar's reserve currency. Well, let's talk about that topic again because it is topical <laughs> right now, and I think it's instructive to go over the history, the long history of the U.S. dollar. And it's long and winding and impossible to cover all the details just in this one little segment, but I'll hit some of the key historical background events. The first is the U.S. dollar began with moves by the founding fathers to establish a national currency based on the Spanish silver dollar. Think about that, the Spanish silver dollar, which had been used in North American colonies uh, of the U.K. for over 100 years prior to the signing of the Declaration of Independence. Now, the new U.S. Congress... Congress's Coinage Act of 1792 established the U.S. dollar as the country's standard unit of money, creating the United States Mint, and they were the ones producing and circulating coinage. Now, initially, it was defined under a bimetallic standard in terms of a fixed quantity of silver or gold. It formed it off the gold standard in 1900 and eliminated all links to gold in 1971. So it took 71 years to get off that gold standards. Now, since the founding of the Federal Reserve System in 1913, as the central bank of the United States, the dollar has been primarily used in the, 
in the current form of Federal Reserve notes. And the United States dollar is now the world's primary reserve currency held by governments worldwide for use in international trade. So this is going this is going back a couple hundred years over, you know, since basically since our founding, 247 years. In uh, up until 1857, US, Mexican, and Spanish minted silver dollars all circulated side by side in the United States. So you have the Spanish dollar, the Mexican peso. It remained legal tender here in the United States until the Coinage Act of 1857. On June 6, 1785, the Continental Congress of the United States authorized the issuance of a new currency. It's the first time the U.S. dollar was created. Now, President George Washington, under his leadership of Alexander Hamilton, who was the Secretary of Treasury at the time, pushed through that coinage act. But did you know until 1857, oh, I'm sorry, uh, the gold standard was suspended twice during World War I, once fully and then for foreign exchange. At the onset of the, of the war, U.S. corporations had large debt payable to European entities who began liquidating their debt in gold. So that's why they had to suspend it. So for as long as the United States remained neutral in the war, it remained the only country to maintain its gold standard, doing so without restriction on import or export of gold from 1915 to 1917. Now, during the the Great Depression, every major currency abandoned the gold standard. The Bank of England abandoned it in 1931. And in early 1933, in order to fight severe deflation, Congress and President Roosevelt implemented a series of acts of Congress and executive order and suspended the gold standard except for foreign exchange. Post-World War II, you had the Bretton Woods system. All other currencies were valued in terms of U.S. dollars and were thus indirectly linked to the gold standard. Then obviously, 71, Richard Nixon unilaterally ordered the cancellation of the convertibility of United States dollar to gold. So I know it's interesting to think about this uh, today, but there has been a lot of volatility in the dollar, whether it was convertible to gold, when it wasn't. Uh, and obviously, the question is, maybe we'll go back to that at some point. I think that's certainly one of the possibilities here going forward. Now, let's go to James in New York. He wants to talk about Nike. Yeah, I uh, bought Nike in the high 80s uh, some months ago, and I did really well with it. And I don't know if it's at a level now. Maybe it's overbought, overvalued. Um, just wanted to hear your thoughts. I was thinking of maybe moving on and selling Nike. Well, I would say it's overbought, but uh, over the short, short term, right? Move from right, 115 or so up to 126 in just a matter of a few weeks. So it is a little overbought. Uh, and it is a little expensive uh, right now, trading in the low 30s on a forward-looking multiple. Modest debt, but obviously a very good business, very good company. If you look on a longer-term chart, zoom out to a weekly, it's in a downtrend. And that's probably the biggest worry. Um, how much of your portfolio is it currently? I have uh, 4% at this point. Okay. 
Well, I mean, this could be a time where you just trim it back to three. Maybe that was your initial investment. Now it's up to four, something like that. Uh, so that's the way I would think about it. Uh, it wouldn't be wholesaling out of it. Uh, certainly not uh, the, the best time to buy it, but uh, certainly a time to be, be trimming it uh, at these multiples. So uh, especially in a slowing economy, certainly Nike's going to be hit. You have geopolitical concerns with, with China. They have a lot of business there as well. So I think you're right to think about at least trimming it. Um, I probably wouldn't eliminate it, but I would trim it. Okay, thanks, thanks much. No problem. Thanks for the call. Let's touch a bit on the EV market. And what's interesting about the trend in the EV market is that a lot of the decision for these large corporations, remember, making these decisions are, are, are not easy. They're not without thinking about all the different variables. It's billions of dollars that go into transitioning your supply chains, your manufacturing facilities to produce electric cars. And pretty much all of the major ones are transitioning to the majority of their fleet being powered in some way by batteries, by electric motors. Now, that may be complete EVs, right? 100% electric, or a lot of them will be plug-in hybrids. And in fact, that's probably the task, the, 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 the path they're most likely to take, mainly because of costs. It's just too expensive. You're, we don't have the material, the amount of copper and uh, materials to put into uh, that many batteries and, uh, and that many electric motors. It's just not feasible at least not in the near term. And so a plug-in hybrid use a quarter of the raw materials that are needed for an EV. And so it's just easier to expand your, your fleet using a plug-in hybrid model. And I think you're, more and more companies are going to go that way. But what's interesting here is that it's not because of Washington. Even though the EPA came out with their New emissions rules last Wednesday for model years 2027 to 2032. And in 2021, the Biden administration tightened the EPA rules for model years through 2026. And companies like Ford and Stellantis and General Motors they shared their aspiration to make 40 to 50% of their EP, their, their uh, output being EVs in some way, shape, or form by 2030. But the thing is, this is kind of goes back and forth. Depends on who is the president. Tougher standards were laid out by Obama and then reversed under Trump and then reversed again under Biden. So these car companies aren't going to make these decisions based on them. And a lot of this has to do with California. Our emissions here, our standards are a lot tighter. And especially in Europe, you had the, the scandal with Volkswagen and the, uh, the diesel engines. And since then, they've really tightened their... Uh, their standards on carbon emissions, synthetic fuels, and that's the, this is the EU. The UK is being even more aggressive. They're tar targeting a complete ban 
of internal combustion engines by 2030, except for those plug-in hybrids. So basically, that's what you're going to see here, is more and more and more plug-in hybrids. Now, certainly a subset of those higher-end cars are going to be, be there to try to compete with the Teslas and the Rivians of the world. But it's nearly impossible to produce a cheap EV car. The plug-in hybrids are really the way to go. So those smaller cars, cheaper cars, I actually think they're going to go up in price. I don't think that those $15,000 cars are going, you're not going to be able to buy those anymore. The $15,000 to $20,000 cars are, are almost going to be gone. And they're going to be replaced with twenty-five dollars to $30,000 plug-in hybrids. And that's the trend within that industry over the next five to 10 years. And so be on the lookout for that and understand that that's what's coming down the pipe. All right. Now, Stephen, I've been telling you about the market cycles that are natural part of the markets of, of human life in general. And the question is, are you prepared for this cycle? Are you ready is your portfolio ready? Are you personally ready to make the decisions? Do you have the data, the discipline, the time to make those smart decisions? Well, if you don't, you don't feel like you do, you want to see if you are on the right path, don't hesitate to reach out to myself or Steve at our company, KPP Financial, where we operate with the same philosophy as we do here on the show, which is independent thinking and shared success. And we invest right alongside our clients. So we provide free portfolio review assessment via telephone or go to meeting. All you have to do is send a message to us over on investtalk.com or give our office a call at 800-557-5461. The sooner you reach out, the sooner we can help get your portfolio optimized. Now we're going into one last quick break. So if you're going to call, you want to do that right now on investtalk at 888-99-CHART. Everybody wants a secure financial future, but getting there takes strategy, discipline, and unbiased guidance. You've come to the right place. Invest Talk, 888-99-CHART. Hi, Duncan from New York. Thank you for all that you do. My question for today is, I have stock ticker HPE, Hewlett Packard Enterprise. I'm still trying to build my dividend portfolio, and I keep on getting confused between the other stock, HP. So could you just do a quick uh, analysis between the two? I think both of them do pay dividends. Uh, it seems like from Fidelity.com that the dividend growth for HPE has grown significantly higher than HP. But any other key statistics would actually help me out. And should I also add to HPE? Thank you very much. And looking forward to the answer on the podcast. Bye. Are you looking at HPE, which is Hewlett Packard Enterprises? Now, I'm not sure which one you're talking about. There's there is the symbol HP that is Helmerk and Payne. That is in the oil industry. Obviously, very different. They have the largest fleet of U.S. land drilling rigs. Obviously, doing fairly well considering the uh, the industry uh, that they're in. So that's a positive. But I think you're actually talking about LHPQ. That is a symbol for. HP Inc. And the difference here is that HP Inc. produces PCs and mainly focuses on the printer market, okay, the printer market, whereas Hewlett Packard Industries is more of a broad 
IT hardware and software enterprise business. So more B2B type of business, whereas HPQ is more B2C, okay? And both are, both are good companies. Both are good companies. And I would say HP, uh, HPE is going to be a little bit more consistent, right? Whereas HPQ, that can have uh, better growth over, over time. Um, so that's really depends on what you're looking for. You're looking for more consistency or both are, both are, like I said, both are good business. Both are, are relatively consistent. Uh, it just depends on what you're looking for B2B or B2C type of uh, business. And if I'm going to pick one, I'm going to actually go with the B2C, the HPQ, but Hewlett Packer Enterprises is very solid. Let me pull up a chart here to tell you whether. This is in good technical position. It is consolidating here. It has moved up recently. It was overbought, but consolidating right around the $16 share range uh, and, and likely moving higher. So I like both of these companies and I give them both a thumbs up, but I would give HPQ a little bit higher. All right. Let's lastly talk about the global real estate market and the rich world from the US all the way to New Zealand sales have slowed obviously because of higher interest rates and a lot of people are wondering okay the the writing's on the wall for a pause both from the fed and other central banks and maybe that will give respite to the industry and i think the short answer overall is it probably won't just like took time for the rate rise. Remember, they were raising rates in early 2022. It didn't take till kind of the end of the year for really to hurt the housing market in a big, big way. And so that's going to be the same for a pause in, in mortgage rates coming down a bit. It's going to give a bit of a respite, but overall, those higher rates are going to weigh on uh, real estate globally. Some more than others, though. Now, if you're in the U.S., Fixed, having a lot of fixed rate mortgages is actually helping us here. We have so many people that are rate locked. They're not in a hurry to go sell their home. They can still afford their mortgage. Uh, and that's probably not going to change anytime soon. But it doesn't mean that all of a sudden rate uh, prices are going to scream back up to the, to the upside. I think it's going to be more of a malaise. Whereas other countries that don't have a lot of fixed rate mortgages like Australia, like Great Britain, like Canada, those are, are going to struggle a lot more. In Britain, for example, half, uh, nearly half the fixed rate mortgages are more, no more than two years. So more than two-fifths of mortgage holders will move to a new interest rate this year. And that's going to weigh on prices there. Once again, same with New Zealand, Sweden, Australia. Those are have, have more downside to go, and many of them are already in the double digits in price declines. So uh, this is a global story. It's not just here in the U.S., and it's actually worse for those abroad. So if you think our housing market's rough, it's, it's a lot worse uh, overseas. Now, I'm Justin Klein. This completes another Invest Talk program. Steve Peasley and I thank you for listening, and we encourage you to tell your friends and family about our free podcast downloads, which you can find anytime, as always, on iTunes, Spotify, or Google Play. 
and be sure to rate and review on iTunes. And it's official. We've now surpassed the 51 million podcast download mark since it all began. And we thank you for that. Independent thinking, shared success. This is Invest Talk. Good night. Invest Talk is a trademark of KPP Financial. Because of the nature of the interactive dialogue inherent in the format of this program, it's important for the listener to understand that not all comments made will apply to them. Specifically, nothing said shall be taken to be investment advice, or shall statements on this program be considered an offer to buy or sell security. Because such advice is rendered solely on an individual basis and at times will require that the investor review a prospectus before investing. InvestTalk is a copyrighted program of Klein, Pavlis, and Peasley Financial, a registered investment advisor firm which retains all rights. For more information regarding KPP's investment advisors, call 1-800-557-5461. Steve Peasley is president and Justin Klein is chief executive officer of Klein, Pavlis, and Peasley Financial. Thank you for listening, and your comments and questions are welcome on our 24-hour listener line at 888-99-CHART.